0: Smajem. Sznajem usosz że bartu
1: Good evening and welcome back. Thank you for coming. Uh, we are today is exciting because we are ready to begin a new round of Parsha in My Life classes. We are on to round number nine. We've been around eight times. Kanainahara, horror? that's really special. And um, guess what? We're still finding deep and endless meaning in the Torah. And as many times you round as you come, you can still. It's endless. So that's very, very special. So I thank all, all those who have been listening and been part of this and uh, helping us in, in all the ways that you help just by coming and by spreading these classes. It gives a lot of inspiration to myself uh, to, to continue with uh, studying and teaching. and So this is really great. I also want to wish everyone, first of all, it's a chodesh tov. Uh, it's a brand new month tonight. Everyone should have a really good Chodesh, a the Chodesh, a Mazel Dege Chodesh, a Simen Tav and a mazeltov A really, really good month for everyone. And it says that the third Beis HaMikdash is going to be built in Cheshvan. So may we merit that the third temple should stand nice, bright, and tall. Um, in Yerushalayim on the hilltop for everyone to see. Ready this Chodesh Cheshvan. Um, to announce, very important. First, a big mazeltov to uh, Tova Roth. And this is in honor of her birthday. Uh, Shere tonight has been sponsored by her parents, Ushi and Sharon Bistamski. May Hashem bless you with a really, 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 really special, great, great, wonderful year. Shnas, Baruch with A lot of mazel and a lot of good things and only good in everything. Pranasa barucha and much, much Baruch And gezunten and all everything Yemale Hashem Kol Mishalis Lipcha Libech for you and your wonderful husband and the entire family. Thank you for that dedication. Um, Another dedication tonight was by anonymous, and this is a unique dedication. We are right now after Rosh Hashanah and after Yom Kippur and after the high holidays, and during the high holidays Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur we all take upon ourselves. Various different commitments and different things that we decided we're going to do and it's possible that by the time we're holding now and Tishrei is fading away and the new month is coming in We've either forgotten of those promises or we found it a little too hard to keep up To that which we were really truthfully sincerely committed to when we were in our higher better selves and now we're back to our more regular self so those people who have not been able to maintain that which they've committed to um, or have forgotten that they've taken upon something so this should be a merit for all those forgotten commitments which is a very thoughtful uh... thing but it it does however gonna cost you something um, the one who had um, dedicated this anonymous dedication had thought that uh it's not like getting away with making a promise and not keeping it. But if you don't remember what you took upon yourself of you might have forgotten or you think you might have not forgotten or you thought you might have been overambitious, whatever it is, at least one thing to compensate to a certain degree, make a make a commitment to something in Eretz Yisrael. Okay? So that the merit of this year combined with you doing something for that, something in the land of Israel, it can be to a hospital, it can be to a yeshiva, it can be to any program that strengthens the Jewish people, strengthens the Jewish people in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel. That is what is this dedication is. That's really, really, really original and great. Thank you for the dedication. Now, um, I do want to announce one more announcement. Baruch Hashem, my words from last year, um, bore, bore, maybe, bore fruit? Yeah, okay. Um, and I asked that, uh, I need some assistance with getting the CDs out. Uh, Baruch Hashem, we have eight years of 400, about, probably about 350 to 400 classes that went on the Parsha of My Life CDs that end up in so many different places. It's really awesome. And uh, so many different people that I don't even know have been inspired by the CDs. Um, the machine is broken and it needs, and we try to repair it. And the repair is uh, forget about the repair. We need a new machine. And last time I announced that I need someone to step up to the plate for this, for help to help us sponsor the new machine. Someone came up and said he's willing to take half of that dedication. So there's, I need a partner for that. Just for you know, it's half of it will be anywhere between twenty-five hundred to three thousand. Um, it's an expensive machine, but it's gonna produce a lot of inspiration for many, many Jews. Uh, until CDs are not going to be applicable anymore, because digital is going to take over. But I think we still have a nice two, three years that people are still comfortable in listening in their CDs. So this is a very big merit for a lot of So If anybody wants to take it, please send us an email, text, whatever it is. Let me know about that if you'd like, because it's a big schus and a very big mitzvah. Thanks in advance. Now that that has been said, we are ready to begin our class for the week. It's Parashas Noach. And um, we read about a great big flood and, um, that wiped out and cleansed the world and purified the world. And, but it wiped out and it brought total, wreaked havoc and brought total devastation like never before in history and like will never happen again. And that is all of the human race and all animal and all, all life on earth was snuffed out, destroyed, utterly destroyed besides one little ark and one little boat with just barely surviving members of each species, including the human race, so that life on earth can begin all new again. That's the story in this week's Parsha. The Parsha is very intense, very harsh. Uh, It's, as the Hasidic master said, a melancholy week, at least the beginning of the Parsha. Halfway through the Parsha, it begins to lighten up and start getting a little brighter, um, I'd like to begin today's class with the brighter side of Parshas Noach at exactly the turning point when night, that horrific night of the flood begins to turn to daylight. Okay, And the darkness gives away to the new bright new beginning. And that is when the Torah describes how in the midst of the intense flood a mood change takes place in God's heart. That's where the change is really happening. Later, it's going to take a while until life on earth starts to flourish again and, and there is a rebirth of the world. That is still many steps away. But at least the internal pendulum swings and from the extreme negativity and darkness we begin to see the positive, a positive change taking place within God's heart. The pasuk says, in the midst of the raging, destructive flood, suddenly Elokim es Noach. Elohim, God remembered Noach. that's call and all the beasts. let and all the animals. With him and this is in Perikhes, chapter eight, verse number one. And Hashem passed over a wind. Over the, the land. Does it mean a, a literal wind that stopped the rain, or that it means a, like Rashi I think says, a ruach of comfort, a spirit, a, a, a wind of consolation? So it doesn't necessarily have to mean it was a howling, blowing wind that took the waters of the flood away, but there was a change of spirit, so to speak, within God by Amoyem, and the waters calmed down. And after that, the waters begin to recede. The water stop, and it starts to recede and lower and lower, and Noach starts sending out the birds to check. Right, that's that's the rest of the story. So, uh, so this is the this is the pivotal moment when the mood when the when everything changes, and Hashem is looking at forward for a brand new relationship with His creation. The question over here that is noticed by Rashi is on the words VaYiskar Elohim as Elokim as Noah that God remembered Noach, Rashi is, is, is uh, perturbed, and this is a question. That we know that God operates with, through and relates to the world through various different names. So there is the name of Hashem, and each name represents a different attitude, a different manner in which he conducts the affairs of the world, or what we might refer to as attributes. So there is seven primary names to Hashem, each one representing a different one of the midot, a different one of the attributes. The name of Elohim is the name of stern justice. Elohim means fierce, power, strictness. When God is acting in a, in, a judgment, in a judging manner, when Hashem is the big almighty judge of the world, and exercising judgment, disciplining the creation, then He is wearing the hat, so to speak, of a judge, and then He is called by the name of Elohim. When Hashem is acting in a merciful manner, then the name of Hashem that is used is the name of what we usually refer to as Hashem, or uh, because we're not allowed to say that name of God, um, it's the Yud, Vav K in English called the Tetragrammaton for letters of Hashem's name that we're not allowed to pronounce. Or in Hasidic terminology we refer to it as Shem Havaya. And that's the name of mercy. And these are two names, and we know about this already from very, 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 on a very, very... This is so important to know this, that we are taught this already in the first Pasuk in Chumash. And you don't have to learn Kabbalah and get mystical. Rashi, who tries to simplify everything in the first Pasuk in Chumash, in the first Pasuk, in the first verse in the Torah. Verse 1, Pasuk 1, right? Perek Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. Rashi tells us over there on the words, Bereshiz, Bara, Elokim. Rashi is already bothered. Why does it use the term Elokim? Why don't we encounter God first with the name of Yudke Vavke? God is creating a world which is an act of infinite kindness, of goodness. So why is the name, the name of, 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 of the judging name of Hashem, God as a strict judge, appear right at the beginning of the Torah, Beresh is Bar Elokim. So Rashi has that question. And Rashi answers, because even though Olam Chesed baneh, even though the trigger that triggers creation, that stimulates creation, is pure kindness and love. But the actual um, creation itself, what Hashem intended to was that the attribute of justice should be the dominating attribute or the world should run on pure justice. Why? Hashem wanted to create the world Midas hadin with the attribute of judgment. Why? Even though the initial inspiration is kindness, so we can explain that in two in two ways. One of them is let's analyze what if we say the kindness is cuz God wants to do good to his creations. God doesn't have anybody to do good to, so he wants to do good, so he's going to create a creation and do good to his creations. That's why he creates them. And we know that the ultimate goodness is when a person feels only really good about something if they earned their 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 blessings if if everything is just a gift and you don't feel like you're earned that's called what's called shameful bread and a person is a little uncomfortable with that the ultimate feeling sense of satisfaction is when you worked hard and you labored and you toiled and then you eat the fruits of your labor. Ah that gives such satisfaction and God because God wanted to give us not just goodness but he wanted to give us ultimate goodness so therefore he wanted to create the world based on a system that there there isn't any free lunch whatsoever every single thing you get you have to pay for so that what? you feel whatever you have you've earned and that would be the ultimate goodness however God saw that the world would not endure stern justice it it, it couldn't handle so therefore he joined along with it the attribute of mercy because the world would not be able to withstand if God would just relate to the world just an eye for an eye just being very tough, and everybody would only get, then what happened is, see, God knows that being that we're given free will, We it's all based on trial and error. And we make many mistakes, and it takes a long time until we mature. And we can make mistake after mistake, and we, we fall down, we get up again, we fall down, we get up again, we try, we try, we try, we try. Eventually, we will all get it right. Humanity will get it right at the end, but it will take a very long time. Now, if the only if God would have been operating the world with just with pure justice, then the world would not have been able to have so many chances, and we would have already collapsed. The world would have imploded on itself, on its own failures, on its own sins, and it would not have been given so many chances. So Hashem had to introduce also rachamim, compassion, and that's why only in the beginning it says, bara Elokim, that was God's intention, but in the end it says, Another verse, asos Hashem that Hashem Elohim created heaven and earth, implying that there was a joint fusion of both compassion and judgment. Another reason why the intention was to create it with judgment, and judgment was very important, is very simple. God created the world for the sake, Rashi tells it to us in the first Rashi, God created the world for the sake of the Torah, or the second Rashi. God created the world for the sake of the Jewish people, and for the sake of the Torah. Not just that there should be a Torah, but that the Jewish people should study the Torah and obey its commandments, thereby giving God a satisfaction. And that's even a deeper reason for creation that we had discussed earlier. That God gets a satisfaction from the mitzvahs that we do, and that is the reason why He created the world. But what is going to assure that we're going to keep to those mitzvahs? It takes effort, it takes work, there's challenges, we have free will, we have evil inclination, we have all kinds of difficulties. To work very hard, we have to overcome challenges. It's much easier to live a Torahless, mitzvahless life. It's not a very fulfilling life, but it is much easier to do that. So, if so, what is going to assure that we're going to stick and do the right thing? So, there has to be reward and punishment. So that just keeps us in check and it keeps us in sync. With the purpose of why I created it for. If no one is keeping the Torah, there is no purpose for creation. And then the creation is not going to... It's just going to... You know... Lose its reason for... Like it happened by the by the flood. And disappear. So therefore... It was an absolute necessity... To create the world with the attribute of justice. Fine. So what do we know now? But what do we know already? From the first pasuk in the Torah... We are already informed about these two names... And Rashi already sets this in our mind. For the rest of the time you study Torah, be alert. Whenever you, say God's, whenever you see God's name as the Tetragrammaton, as the Yud vavke, Vav vaya, know that we're dealing with an, a, compassionate, a compassionate act. For example, mitzvahs are mostly described to us coming from shema Avaya because that's what mitzvahs are, an opportunity where God is showing His compassion for us that we should be able to connect to Him. When you see the name of Elokim, be careful. This is a moment of divine justice, retribution, harshness, punishment, right? Good, that's the rule that we know already from the beginning of Horatius. If that's the case, here we have a very, very, very stunning pasuk, something that should really, really, really um, raise some, some flags immediately. We read the pasuk and we're talking about the worst time in history. We're talking about God executes the most harsh punishment that has ever been in the world. Again, all of humanity is destroyed. All life on earth is destroyed. This is horrific beyond description. Okay, So justice, in the, the, the God's attribute of justice, has now exercised its strength to the fullest. Fine. Now we see God changing his mind. And suddenly he's looking at the world filled with compassion. And he's saying, Oh my God, what did I do? Destroyed everything. What's with my world? I love my world. I want it to be, I want this world to be re inhabited. And everything changes. And Hashem decides to put an end to that destructive forces of the Mabal and bring back life. So that came from where that change of heart means that the attribute of mercy and compassion begins to fire up within God's arts begins to flow within the divine heart, within Hashem's mind and heart, and that should change. So if that's the case, it should have said, "Va'yiskar Hashem es noach, that the Yutke Vafke remembered noach, but it doesn't say that. It says, "Va'yiskar Elohim es noach, that Elohim, the attribute of judgment, remembered noach, and therefore decided, no more flood, which is something that needs some explanation. So Rashi says, you should know that that's because something astounding happened. When God changed, had a change of heart, and said, no more destruction. I want a world. I want want to bring healing and comfort and consolation and, and save the planet and rebuild it. That did not come from the attribute of mercy. You are reading correctly. Guess what? It was the attribute of justice itself that has been transformed, justice itself started feeling compassion for the world. Justice itself cried out, enough is enough, I don't want this anymore. Now, let there be goodness in this world. Let there be kindness. And Rashi says something so strong, that the attribute of justice itself was metamorphosized. It was changed, it was converted to compassion. Elohim is now usually Elohim. Is a force in the world that brings punishment, pain, suffering. Now the very power of Elohim brought healing and 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 the rebirth and light and goodness and kindness to the world. Elohim inherently changed. Wow. What caused that to happen? So Rashi says it was the prayers of tzaddikim. Noach prayed. And because Noah is a tzaddik. The power of prayer is so strong that it is able to convert even a force of the, even a, even the divine attribute of, ju, of justice. It's able to not just mellow it out, but to transform it into a force of compassion. Fine. And that's the meaning of that it came from Elohim, it didn't come from Yudke Yod. Yudke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, Shemavaya, of course was calling for an end to the flood. But what, what really changed everything was the attribute of justice. But we need... Okay, and then Rashi says, to, to illustrate this further, Rashi says, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, Rashi says, but earlier already, in last Parsha, in Parsha's Beratius, when, we, when God is actually deciding to, to destroy the world, to bring a deluge to the world and to destroy everything... At that time, there too you should notice a discrepancy. Over there it says that when God is very, getting, very angry and frustrated, and He decides, I don't want, I want to, dis- man is just too corrupt, and I, and I want to destroy the world, it doesn't say, we would expect, who is the one speaking? Which voice is God hearing in His head, so to speak? The attribute of justice is calling for justice for all the violence. And all the suffering and all the criminality that it was done, all the crimes that were done, they were calling for, for payback. Something should be done. Avenge the blood of the in, of the innocents of the innocent. This should be coming from the attribute of judgment. Interesting. It doesn't say that. It says it comes. It came. Look in the end of Berechias. So I'll read the pasuk. Hashem, and Hashem said, Emcha Adam. I will just, I will wipe out man." Asha Barossi, the second to the last verse of Pashas Bereshas. So with there you have the same question. Why does it say the Yudkei Vavkei, which is the attribute of mercy? There it should have been the attribute of judgment, not the attribute of mercy. Even And the Pasuk before that too, it says, Vayar Hashem, that Yudkei the attribute of mercy saw, Ki Ro'asa Adam, that man's evil deeds are so much, and that his, all his thoughts are negative and corrupt, and therefore he has to destroy the world. It mentions the Yudke Vavke. So somehow you see, total opposite of what we know. We know that Elohim is judgment, and usually exercise punishments. Yudke Vavke is chesed and kindness, and rachamim and compassion, and usually ex- does all the, all, the, all the positive things in the world. And yet, here you see they're working the opposite. And Rashi says, guess what? There too... Just like the prayers and the righteousness of tzaddikim are so great that they can change and convert an attribute to act contrary to what the attribute is all about, to act in a, in a, in an opposite manner. So the same is also the wicked. The deeds of the wicked can be so horrific and so horrible and so, and have such a negative effect on Hashem that it takes the attribute of compassion and it turns it into judgment. That God is not, and which would mean that what that the decision to go ahead with the flood and to destroy the world did not come from the attribute of Elohim, from the attribute of judgment. It came from the attribute of mercy. Because even mercy itself and compassion itself said, this, this, this world deserves to be destroyed. Because it was, and the wickedness, showing how, so to speak, how vulnerable God is. This is really, really, really something amazing. How vulnerable God is, so to speak, his emotions can be so affected by the deeds of of the world. Fine. That's what Rashi says. The question we have here today, before we get into the deeper elements, which is really amazing, the question first over here is a little technical. This question, why the name, it seems to be the misappropriate uh, name is being used, Okay, over here, there it should have been the attribute of compassion, and it's in the name of Elohim. Sorry, there it should have been the attribute, in Bereshit, it should have been the attribute of Elohim, of judgment, Then it's the name Yudkei of compassion. Here it should have been the attribute of compassion, and instead it's the attribute of judgment. This question, where, do we, where does it arise? Where do we have this question the first time? Only in Parsha's Noah. This question we have already in Parsha's Bereshit. If you're a serious student, and you're learning the Parsha carefully, when you get to the end of Barsha's Baratius and you see the world becoming so so corrupted and denigrating lower and lower till it needs to be destroyed, and you see God getting frustrated with his world and angry at his world, you're expecting to see the name of Elokim, and you see the name Yudke Vavke. So the alarms go off already over there. Rashi doesn't say a word in parsha's no and parsha's Beretius, rashi ignores the entire thing doesn't ask any questions he leaves it untouched where does he ask the que- ask the question he waits till parsha's noach where where we find when it comes to the time of consolation and comforting and changing and turning the world into a positive state over well, there he asks the question how come the attribute of judgment not the attributes of mercy he and not only does he, he ask the question, so you might say maybe, I mean, if someone is obviously doesn't realize who Rashi is, you might say Rashi was a little sleepy and tired, and Parshas Bereshis, and he maybe didn't notice it there. But now, when he got to Noah, he was kind of awake, it was not after the holidays, it was Parshas Noah already. And there, he noticed it now, he didn't notice it before, Hey, hold it. But you see, now he does notice what it says before, he brings it up, he says, and before... So if Rashi does notice that before, and it didn't slip chas v'shalem, Rashi's scrutinizing eye, if it, didn't sc- if it didn't skip it then, so why didn't he notice, why didn't he comment then? What does he wait over here? So for whatever reason, you see from here, that for whatever reason, in the end of Panashah's Bereshah, you can get away without interpreting the, the, the meaning of the verse, that the attributes are acting contrary to what they are. Over there, you don't have to say so. From that Pesach, we would not know this. Obviously, because we would have some other kind of a solution. Only when we get to this Parsha, in Parshas Noach, over here, we are compelled to say that the explanation is that, the, that the, 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 the revoking of the flood, the ending of the flood, and turning the world back into a, 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 a habitat of life, that came from the attribute of judgment, not the attribute of mercy. That is only, we only are compelled to say that over here, not earlier. Why? And not only that, two things I want to point out. Not only are we, are we not compelled earlier, we're compelled only in this pasuk. But number two, once we see it over here, retroactively, it already, we already have to restudy again what we learned earlier, and reinterpret what we learned earlier. You understand? You see that from Rashi. That he only explains the early apostle after he explains this, then he goes back and he says, now that I know this, I can explain that as well that way. So we need to understand why. And the answer is really, really brilliant. Mom, simple, but brilliant, like crazy brilliant. The Lubavitcher Rebbe gives such, that's what's so sometimes, the Rebbe's brilliance is like so extraordinary because it's so brilliant yet so simple. And he says just a simple solution for this. What's the simple solution? He says, take a look. See, the reason why you didn't have a question when you learned Beresh is because what did you learn in the first Rashi? Learn that Rashi that I mentioned earlier, careful. When it says that God brought together these two attributes, the attribute of judgment and mercy, Rashi is very careful with his words. He said the world, he saw, God said, it says in Rashi, God saw, the world cannot withstand if it's created and it's run and ruled and governed only by justice. Therefore, what did Hashem do? Shitev, he joined the, the attribute of... of well, let me read the Rashi to you. Um, he joined the attribute of, of mercy. But Rashi uses the words, Not rasha'ein he saw so the world cannot stand. Higdim, hear these words. Higdim, he put first... Midas harachamim, the attribute of mercy, the Shitfa, and he joined it to what was there already, midas adin, the attribute of judgment. In other words, first Hashem wanted to do just judgment. Then what did God do? He joined along the attribute of mercy. But Rashi doesn't only say that he hooked up the attribute of mercy as well, or, or introduced mercy into creation as well, to govern along. Rashi says, Higdim, the means, he put first, first means that this takes precedence. Mercy takes precedence over judgment. They're not equal partners in governing the world. One is stronger than the other. The right hand is stronger than the left hand. The right is chesed, the left is guru. By most people, the right is stronger than the, than the left because by Hashem it's that way. The right hand, which is kindness and mercy, is stronger than the left, than the attribute of judgment. Meaning that when, when there, there's always a clash. Because we're constantly doing things and we're constantly being judged by God. And Hashem is, works with us constantly in a system of reward and punishment and deserve. So He's always judging our actions. We have free will. And every day and every moment there is a question. What do you deserve? And God is constantly deliberating within himself. Because these two forces are constantly, one says, the attribute of judgment says, come on, they don't deserve to eat lunch today. What did they do? They're just slapping around, laying in bed and doing nothing. Why does he deserve to have lunch? Attribute of mercy says, okay, don't judge him based on now. Judge him next week. He's finally going to get out of bed. He's going to do something good. Give him lunch. So it's just back and forth. There's constant deliberation. Should I give? Should I not give? Should it rain? Should it not rain? Should the drought in California end? Shouldn't it end? Should this happen? Should that happen? Constant back and forth and back and forth. The two voices are constantly coming up. Which one gets to kind of the final say? Who's stronger? You would think it's 50-50 and then whatever. Whoever's argument is stronger at the moment. It's not that way. It's probably 60-40. Which means that the attribute of mercy has over has power, has the stronger hand over the attribute of... And that's why most of the time it's the positive that, that, that overpowers the negative. And it's usually, Baruch Hashem, the world has survived with so much goodness and so many blessings. Because God made the right side be stronger than the left side, the attribute of compassion. If that's the case, comes out, and I, I know everybody read this Rashi, but I don't know if anybody analyzed it to the depth. Comes out according to that that every single thing that happens in this world must get the approval of the attribute of mercy. That means there isn't any type of punishment or catastrophe or any kind of thing that happens in this world that only came because the attribute of judgment was calling for punishment. It never happened because the attribute of mercy does not have the power to govern because if it would have the power to decide something on its own without the consent of the attribute of mercy then what could hashalom happen then as we said earlier the world might not deserve to, uh, to 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 the world might not survive so god has to every single decision is 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 goes along with both these attributes and not only that the attribute of Mercy or compassion is always dominating, always dominates. So that means that every single thing that happens, if there's a hurricane in the world, it needs the approval. Now, sometimes we can understand that compassion doesn't want to give its approval. It's reluctant, but in the end, maybe the case is so strong that so-and-so needs to happen that the, the, the compassion has no choice. So it, it, it has to agree that there is a problem. Even if you're on one side, you have to, I mean, this is just really bad. It's like you're seeing now with the elections, right? So now you say, oh, now, right now you say, Ooh, oh, even the Democrats say, oh, there's a problem. A few weeks ago, you had, even the Republicans say, oh my, this is a problem. That means everybody has to agree to the other side at certain points because this is this, this, this just can't be. Right? So, these two forces are competing with each other, one stronger than the other, but which one is the final say? Compassion is stronger and has to... Has to, um, has to give the final stamp of approval for everything, if that's the case. And so now it makes perfect sense. When you are reading Parsha's Beresh, and you get to the end of the Parsha, and you find and you see that God, s- which name does God sign on the edict of destroying the world? The name of Compassion. The name of Yudke Vavke, the Tetragram. And you're wondering, huh? we'd expect that the other signature to be here, the name of of judgment should have been here, And you wouldn't have a question because you realize that to bring such devastation and destruction, this wasn't just a little act this was the most forceful, the most powerful act of, of destruction that has ever been in the world, so you would understand that something like this, the power of the power of judgment would not have been able to get make this happen without being screened by the other attribute, by the attribute of mercy. And if it, it the attribute of mercy would not have given its green light, it would not have been able to happen. So that's why it has to say, what does the Pasuk say? Vayomer Hashem, vavke. Hashem says, the Tetragrammaton, Rachamim, says, Emche, I'm going to erase all of mankind. Why? Because judgment itself can't do it. So, because if it would have said, let me ask you something, if it would have said the opposite, it would have said, Vayomer Elohim, imagine, if the Torah would have said, Elohim is saying, so you're, you're, you're I'm going to erase man from the face of the world, the, the student who's learning Chumash carefully is going to ask a question. Hold it, didn't we learn in the first Rashi that the power of compassion dominates over his Higdim comes first and has overriding power over the power of the... So then how could the Midas Elohim get away with this? And destroy God's world, or evoke or cause Hashem to destroy the world. So therefore, that's that's how we would have learnt the parsha. So therefore, we would have we would say, that's why the Torah says, "Vayomer Hashem Yutke Vavke." Says not that the Mabel. Hear this. Let's understand something. Not that the flood was brought about by the attribute of compassion. The attribute of compassion does not bring floods. The attribute of compassion brings blessings and goodness. The reason why it says vayomer hashem we would have learnt means that the attribute of compassion gave its consent to that which the attribute of judgment was calling for. It couldn't argue, it didn't have an argue, an argument anymore. Things were so bad that it didn't have a way. it had to say, "You know what? I have to agree with you." You got to do what you got to do. But who did it? We would say it's the attribute of judgment that brought the flood, not the attribute of compassion. That's how we would have learned. However, that works where, where does that work? Hold it, everyone. Where does that work in veracious In veracious you can get away with saying that. But when it comes to Parshas Noach, and in Parshas Noach, it says the opposite. We're talking about changing things for the good and bringing a spirit of healing to the world and stopping this flood and changing the world back into a, life, into a world that's, that's flourishing with life and with happiness. That comes from where? Over here. Why, why over here does it say Vayiskor Elokim? that Elohim remember? What are you going to say? What's Elohim doing this? We were wondering, we're wondering, after all this destruction, what probably happened? Elohim was doing its job. And at a certain point, the attribute of compassion couldn't stand it anymore, right? It's standing on the side and it's watching. It gave its consent. But after a certain after a while, it's like, come on, how much? How much? I can't bear this anymore. Stop it! Stop! And the attribute of compassion causes the attribute of judgment to stop. That's what we would think. It's like sometimes parents decide on a punishment on a child. They have the half an hour of whatever. They have to be in the corner for half an hour. 20 minutes, whatever the punishment is. They can't have their toy for this amount of time. So one of the two parents, after the more compassionate one, like after 15 minutes, starts caving in. Like, oh, come on, like my heart is going up. The other one says, no, 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 we have to see it through to the end. Right? So who is the one that's calling to end the punishment? The attribute of compassion is calling. So then it, and over here you can't say that the reason why it says is because compassion is not the only governor. Compassion has to speak to judgment, that it has to get the other side of Congress, so to so to the, the those who are sitting on the other seat on the other side, that they also have to agree. The attribute of judgment. No, the attribute of judgment doesn't have to agree. Even if the attribute of judgment is up in arms, and it's screaming, keep the flood going, keep on pounding, pound them some more, pound them with more fire and brimstone, or who knows what. They don't deserve, right? But the attribute of mercy has more power. So the attribute of mercy could have stopped it without the approval of, 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 of judgment, because which one is stronger? Let's always go back to the point. Who is stronger? Compassion is stronger than judgment. If so, why does it say, Vayiskar Elohim, that Elohim remembered? So that's why the question only arises here, not in Bereshav. Because in Bereshav you have a simple answer based on what I told you already earlier, Rashi says. But over here you don't have that answer. Now you're stuck. So Rashi says, Ah, so you have to say over here, the reason why it says, V'yiskor Elohim, is because guess what? As shocking as this might sound, Guess who stopped the flood? Not the attribute of compassion. The attribute of judgment itself stopped the flood because judgment itself was converted to compassion. Judgment itself broke down crying for the world. And judgment, it says, Wow, this is just terrible. How can you not have mercy on them? And so it came from the, from the other side, from the left side of Hashem, came the, the change to do it. And judgment itself caused caused the marble to stop that's but that's a very big that's a big hidish that a attribute of god could be changed and rashi's wondering who changed it so rashi says it came from the tefillah, of the prayer of the tzaddikim it's so powerful our prayers are so strong that not only are we able to stimulate compassion but if we pray hard and deep enough and long enough, we're able to turn even the forces, the accusing force, even the prosecutor itself should have compassion. That's novelty. Once we've, already, once we've already seen that this is feasible, it's possible that the negative, that the attribute of judgment should have a total turnaround, a 180 turnaround, or should be metamorphosized and changed into complete opposite of what it is. Now, Rashi says, now we can revisit what we studied already before in Bereshis and come up with a different interpretation of what we said earlier. Earlier, Rashi says, I didn't want you to... to, to, to I, I didn't have enough proof. Earlier, I didn't have enough proof to be able to, to, to come up with something so radical... That compassion did an act of of judgment. The attributes stick to their jobs, they don't change. But once I know from... And I'd rather say that what does it mean over there that God remembered? What does it mean? It means that compassion went along with it. Not compassion executed it. Compassion went along with it. But once I see over here that that we find that man's actions are so pivotal and so strong that they convert something and change it, now we go back to what we learned earlier And say over there as well That when it says that God said I'm going to destroy man What does it mean? That the attribute of mercy itself Said I'm going to destroy man Mercy had a change of heart Mercy itself Was, was not going to tolerate What was happening in the world Okay, this explains it However, here is where we get a little deeper Because we really have to ask the question And here is a deep question um, why did Hashem really wait so long to stop the flood until even the even the um until even the attribute of mercy I'm sorry the attribute of judgment is going to call to stop the flood I mean especially since compassion is enough to be able to halt the flood so let's understand something who do you think got excited first the left side the right side of god's heart or the left side The attribute of... To change. Who felt the pain of of a destroyed world first? Who was moved first? Compassion. Later, it got so bad, so to speak, that even judgment said, I can't. Especially since compassion has the power to accomplish it on its own, if 60% of the Senate can pass the bill, why do I have to wait till the other side will be convinced to go along with it if I have already enough? Especially when we're dealing with a flood that's raging. Why do we need the other side? That's the question. And the answer is very deep and very important. And that is as follows. The and It has two steps to it. Okay, First it's a little simpler and then it gets a little deeper. Uh, the idea is as follows. This change of heart that Hashem had, that he should stop the flood, wasn't just to stop the flood now. This was the beginning of the feeling of the of what would later become a covenant that God makes with Noah. And he says, I will never destroy mankind ever again. God makes a covenant and says, I will never destroy and devastate the world. I will never bring a flood again. That came about, not right now, because here we're still dealing much earlier. God remembers and he stops the flood. That's going to happen later, when Noah is going to come out of the Teva, and he's going to build a altar he's gonna offer carbonos. God is gonna smell the scent of those carbonos, and God says I will never do it again he will introduce the rainbow and that so there's still a couple of steps until that will happen but again this is the seed where it begins eventually this will lead to that covenant the covenant is what? not only that Hashem what was the covenant? the covenant was that God will never ever destroy the world like he destroyed by the flood. Since that's since that's what this is meant to lead to, that this will, like we say, never again, that this will never ever happen again, we can understand why God waited until Noah, through these, his intense prayer, is going to take even the attribute of Elohim, even the attribute of judgment, and convert it to mercy. God waited until that point. The reason why he waited for that is because if the attribute of mercy is not going to agree for the stopping of the flood, which means in the mind, so to speak, in the world view in the in the in the in the so to speak in the philosophy in the in in the in the in the view of of the attribute of mercy, the could a flood is justified the wiping out of a few billion people or how many people lived at that time is a justifiable. Thing They could The world could deserve Something Something so Terrible to happen um, And the only reason God would not do it Was because The attribute of mercy Said don't do it But from the attribute Then how do we know That it will not happen again And if, if Because maybe one day How do we know What won't happen again Maybe one day Things will get bad On this world To the point Where the attribute Of judgment Will bring a case the prosecutor will come in and he will bring a case and he will say, listen here, the world deserves to be destroyed. And God says, well, you know what? I made a promise that I will not do it. Fine. But you see, it's not, it's not essentially changed because at least from the side of judgment, there is a possibility and a demand and the side of judgment could be calling for this type of a punishment this type of a, of, a, of a consequence. In order to assure that it will never, ever, ever happen, ever, 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 we need that even judgment itself should admit that this should not be. Horror like this is unjustified and should never, ever, ever be. And since, again, this memory, this remembrance that God remembers now, Noah, is later going to bring about that covenant, God wanted that, that that watch that what is evoked and what is calling for this stop of the flood and, and should come from judgment itself. So that there shouldn't even be a possibility of a possibility of a possibility ever that such an apocalyptic event should happen that the world should be destroyed. That will never happen. Why? Because judgment itself was tran. Was transformed and became compassionate after the flood, and said that doesn't mean that judgment ceased to exist. It was transformed only for that moment, and it. But it admitted, it admitted that this should never happen, and not only in a manner where it it consented, it gave its consent to what compassion is saying. Judgment from the world of judgment can never justify a total global destruction of all of humanity. That's it. it. It admitted, I can't say it was wrong on what happened, because we'll soon see. What happened, of course, was correct and right. And as we said earlier, even the attribute of compassion had agreed, and not only agreed, but actually executed the flood. That's how terrible things were. But now, things change so dramatically. You hear what's going on over here? Things had such a deep and traumatic change that even justice, the judgment itself, says never again. This should never happen. That's why God waited. Because he wanted to bring it to never again. And not just never again, it's not possible because there won't ever be a prosecutor that will call for such destruction. Now the question is, let's go a little deeper into this and understand what's the depth of this. Why? What really happened over here by the model? How can it be that before the flood, there was a possibility that even compassion was able to demand for utter destruction of all of life and after the flood, even justice says never again. What really happened? What's the deeper change? And the idea is as follows. That let's really understand when God says this will never happen again, I will never destroy it again. What does that mean? Does that mean that God will let the world become corrupted, 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 beyond repair and just let the world continue to exist in a broken way, in a, in a, in a, in a devastating uh, uh, world of violence. I mean, let's understand something. God did not take away free choice. After the flood, Hashem continued, He didn't change, He didn't reprogram seemingly the human heart. He left the person with a Yetz tov and a Yetz hara. Now when you create people, human beings, and you give them free choice to choose their actions, not only that, but you, bl- you you give everybody a healthy dose of e- evil inclination as well. So, what are you, what are your options for if you're God, so to speak, when you're looking at this, what, what when you're looking at the, pos- the range of possibilities? Range of possibilities: either everybody, for whatever reason, will choose good, and everybody will be tzaddikin. or there is a possibility that everybody will be persuaded in the wrong way and go and do the wrong thing and become immoral and whatever. That's also possible. And probably most likely is it's going to be kind of half and half. That's possible. But the possibility that everybody is going to become bad is not out of the question. Everybody has free choice. And God doesn't meddle with free choice. If that's the case, so who is to guarantee? God? God says, I will never bring a flood. But what happens if the flood is needed? It just is so bad, the world does not deserve to exist anymore. So how can there be a promise on God's end? I will never make this happen. I will never happen. So think about it. How will this? How is that possible that Hashem makes that promise? The answer to that is that what Hashem promised was not so much that He's not going to destroy the world. What Hashem made a covenant with man is that man will never become so corrupted ever again. See what the, what, the, what, the, what the covenant was? The covenant was not that I'm not going to react to you making trouble, you becoming really bad. That, that, that's not the promise. The promise is I will never, ever, ever let you become corrupted like this again. Why? How is that promise? So you'll say maybe he will kind of punish people before they get to that point. So it's like nip it in the bud. That's not what it means. How is God... Guaranteeing. What does it mean? I mean, if you're giving free choice, and free choice is for real, how do you guarantee that it will never happen again? So the answer to that is, after the flood, there was some change that happened in the very underlying mechanics of creation and of existence. A, a, a change, something happened, God did something, within the, in the, he rewired something slightly, and we'll see it in a moment. And that rewiring that took place is going to assure that this will never happen again. And the reason for that is because, you see, in creation there's two things. There is creation itself. There is creation. And then there is the intention of creation. There is the purpose of creation. There is the world, and there is the kavana, the intention of why God made a world. And these two things, the world and the intention of why he created it, are actually two opposites, complete opposites. The creation itself is a creation of concealment. We spoke about this many times. The word olam, olam which means world, also means hellem concealment. So when God creates a world, what does it mean? It means that Hashem makes a space for us to exist and where He is not, where He is not um, overpowering. That's the idea. He creates us, He leaves us our space and our existence. And within that space we can make free choice. But in order for that to happen, Hashem has to go into hiding. Because God is really everywhere. And God is really everything. And He is the reality of all realities. And He's the reality of every little, little cell in our bodies. And we have no existence even for a split second without God willing us into being at that very moment. And yet we can be so oblivious to God. How can we choose? How can we make a choice? It's because God goes completely into hiding. He hides, He hides, He hides, He hides. Until he's He's not felt. And He leaves us free choice. So our reality comes from God concealing Himself. And how far, does he, how far can we go? And we can even add concealments. Because the more we choose to ignore, the darker it gets, the less we feel God, to a point where we can completely violate His will. We can even deny an existence of God. We can even become an atheist. And not only become an atheist, but we can even write articles uh, promoting atheism and unbelief in God and spreading it and teach it and become... Whatever! Why? Because God allows that. He has concealed himself completely from his creation. That's the act of creation, an act of concealing. What's, However, the, however, what is the intention in creation? What's the intention? The intention is concealment. Does God want a place that's dark? That's not his, con- his intention. The intention is that that very conce- world where he has removed himself completely or at least soaked from our consciousness and our awareness... That itself should be a platform through which we will discover God. Not only we will discover Him, but we will discover Him in such a deep way. And that's the principal rule. The added light that comes from the darkness. Yes, we will make choices. Sometimes our choices will be in the wrong direction. We will go away from God. And sometimes we will go further away and further away. And guess what? By the end, we smack our nose in the wall so hard that we realize, oh my, this is not taking me anywhere, and we rebound, and we turn back to Hashem. Ultimately, the darkness of creation leads us to what? To a deeper discovery of Hashem. God created the world that from, first of all, through Torah and mitzvahs, it's our job to take the, we we, we help prod the world from concealment to revelation. But even if we want to ignore the Torah and mitzvahs, and we want to run the other way, In the end, all roads lead to Yerushalayim. All roads lead us back into Hashem. No matter which way we go. No matter how far we run. No matter how fast we're running. No matter how dark we want to play, go darker and darker. Why? Because from within the creation, from within the darkness will come the light. Why? The intention of God, hear this. The intention of Hashem was not... Concealment, the intention of God was that in the darkest concealment should come the brightest light. Now you have two realities, but I want to hear this really well. Now you have two realities. You have creation, which is a project, an exercise of concealment, and then you have the purpose of creation, which is all about revelation, revealing Hashem. Two opposite. Now here is the difference before the flood and after the flood. This is so amazing. Here's the difference from before the flood and after the flood. Before the flood, the creation and the purpose for why the creation was created were not linked together. What does that mean? True, of course, when God created the world, He intended it, that the darkness should lead to light. But within the creation, the purpose of creation wasn't evident. It was possible to get lost in the creation and completely disregard the purpose creation itself didn't have anything in it that showed you its purpose so creation itself was a darkness which is allowing again not the creation is not dark it's a beautiful world with trees and then, but when you look at the world you didn't have any evidence in it that shows points to a god Besides a tradition that you had from your grandfather or great-grandfather, who was, was Adam Arishon who saw God. But there was nothing veer in the world. The world seems to operate based on nature, natural forces, and it was concealment. There is a purpose. The purpose and creation were two separate things. After the flood, God had changed the dynamics that in the creation itself, it always remains kind of within the orbit of its purpose. It cannot float away from its purpose completely. It always remains within the zone of its purpose. Why? Because there is always a background, a sense of what the purpose is within the creation. Now let me explain that just a little better so you understand this. And what does this mean and how do you see that? One of the repercussions, what happened right after the flood? Let me explain. What happened right after the flood? We said before God made a covenant with Noah that he will never ever destroy the world. Now if you read the psukim, one of the things it says that God said to Noah was, one of the things Hashem said to Noah in that conversation was that he is going to make the world very stable and that the world will never ever be destroyed and that things are going to work in a perfect system and they're never going to be interrupted. The four seasons are going to follow. Winter, spring, summer, summer, fall... And it's going to continuously work that way and it's never going to be disrupted ever again. Night and day are never going to stop. Everything is going to work in a continuous way and it will never, ever, ever cease. Now hear that. Here's an amazing thing. That promise that God said that the world is going to always operate and you don't have to worry for the global warming or this or that is going to happen that's going to destroy the world because God says I'm telling you this world is going to survive and everything is going to work because things are going to operate in a consistency that promise that God made to Noah was really let's think about it something something very deep that's not that was and obviously before the flood it wasn't that way before the flood I don't know if this possibly happened But it's possible that the world skipped the winter and it only was summer. Or it's possible that before the flood there was some kind of uh, mishap that there was one day that wasn't night and day and it just remained day. I don't say that that happened. But from the fact that God promises after the flood that that will never happen. The truth is by the flood itself it happened. There was no night and day. There There was an interruption. Now this idea let's understand something where does it come from you see this power for something to stay and stay its course and never change is an infinite power because from the power of the finite when you create when a finite being creates anything or anything that is finite everybody knows there is wear and tear something starts breaking down after a while you can put a you can log 100,000 miles in your car 120 180 to miles you're going to be taking that car into the mechanic quite often. The engine will go, the transmission will go, this will go, that will go. There will be, no matter, I don't care what kind of oil you put into it, 300,000 miles, eventually everything will go. Everything. No matter what it is, everything erodes. Everything has an end. How come the galaxies don't, or rotate, and they never stop, they don't get any slower, night and day, stop. things, the, the major forces of nature, winter, summer, the, these things just continuously change, and they go on and on without a change, the answer is, that's not from the creation itself, that's because God, that's because of Hashem inserts himself God is the only being that has no wear and tear. God is forever. And by God putting himself within the creation, that gives the creation that infinite durability and that strength and that that iron, that steel permanence comes from Hashem himself. That Hashem puts into the the changing world. Now here's an amazing thing. Therefore, when someone observes nature, when someone looks at nature... What and you analyze this particular thing? How can it be that nature is not getting any weaker? How can it be? Yeah, individual stars might might blow out. Uh, certain you know people live and die, and but nature as a whole is not getting any weaker. It's as strong as Rabbi Baha'i says the day it was created. There's no. It's not the, the the earth is not getting exhausted. The earth is not giving any less produce like it. it give quite in the country. It's giving more than it ever gave. So, it's not getting... To, that... what is any, any, any person looking at it with a discerning recognizes that there must be an infinite power behind it. So that means, hold it, that in the creation, what do we see? After the flood, what do we see in creation? Nature itself tells the story of a what? Of a supernatural being. Nature tells the story of a supernatural being. But here the, the chiddush... The novelty is so great over here. Why is the novelty so great? Not only can you see God, again, before the flood you couldn't see it. But before the flood, you didn't have that durability in the world. Things could crash. There could be a crash with the nature and something will malfunction and it won't work. But because before that, God did not make this promise. Now God made this promise when meaning to say that he put the koach ein Sof, the infinite power into creation. You can see it. So what does that teach you? That you can see within the world, you can see God now that you couldn't see Him before. But here's the depth. I I, I didn't get to the depth yet. The depth of it is, hold it, how do you see the power of the infinite being? Through the very concealment. Meaning through nature itself, you see the infinite. So hold it, something doesn't make any sense. What do I mean by that? What is the... What... What makes God be so concealed in the first place? Why do we feel like we're living in a godless existence? I mean, I'm not trying. We know we all went to school and we all learned about Hashem and we all come to shul and we daven. I don't mean that. But our natural sense of existence is that it makes us feel so powerful and so strong and so, so, so self-substantiated. We don't sense there is a power making us, creating us. And the reason is the world is very deceptive. And the reason why the world is very deceptive? Because of nature. Be, and what's nature? Nature is consistent patterns. Do you realize? If every day, for example, if the human race would need for its survival, every day you would need your food. And how would you get the food? One day, if you would you would find food growing in your backyard, plants. The next day, manna would come from the heaven. The next day, it would come from the north, shooting arrows that would bring apples and chocolates on it. And the next week, it would come floating from it. And then the fish would spring out from it. Every day, we would be fed from a different power. What would we say? What would we say if there would be a total randomness in creation? And every day... But it's not like people would just die, there would be nothing to eat. And you'd say, then you would say, oh, that would be total, that would show that there's no system, it's just totally random, we're all part of this horrible accident, and we don't know where this thing is going to go, because one day it's moving this way, and the other it's moving the other way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that all human beings are miraculously fed. But how? Every time through a different manner. What would that tell us? God would be perfectly exposed. Perfectly revealed. You would say that there must be someone there feeding every plant, feeding every human being. What makes the world, what puts God in disguise? What? The fact that bread always comes from the ground. Every day. It's always coming. The sun is always coming on the east and setting on the west. Things are repetitive. So it looks like what? Systems. There are systems. Natural phenomenon. This is just a world of nature. And we try to figure out how it all began. And what is the beginnings. And how evolution works. And all that thing. Because there is such natural systems. So the repetitiveness is the very force of concealment. But now put on your glasses. Or take the microscope. And look deeper into that very repetitiveness. And see that it's never ever ever stopping. So what is that telling you? Here. Here. You're looking at nature itself and you're looking deeper into the repetition and see how is something repeating itself in the same speed for, for for thousands of years? It's not stopping. How is it getting any weaker? Oh, there must be an infinite being. So what do you see from here? From the concealment itself comes the revelation. That is a post-mable phenomenon. It's a post-mable phenomenon that from within creation, from within the concealment, you will see the creator. What did I tell you? God made a covenant with mankind. What was the covenant? Let's go back. What was the covenant that God made with mankind? That's, that cre- no matter how far you go, no matter in the concealment, no matter how much you'll get, you'll never be able to become so far blunged that you'll lose your way and don't come back. Why? Because the very concealments themselves will lead you back to the truth. There's no such a thing as a world going astray. Those that are worried, physically the world will never break down. It will never break down. But spiritually also, never ever lose hope in the power of every human being. The power, Because every human being will come back. The world will return to God. The world has to do tshuva. Everything has to return back to its source. After the mamble, the nature which is the creation is intrinsically bound up and coiled with what? With the supernatural, with the Eberster. And you see within the finite, within the very concealment, it will lead to revelation. This is the awesomeness of after the Mabal as opposed to before the Mabal. Before the Mabal, the two of them were not connected in such a visible way. The two were separated. This will also explain, I have to say, one little thing. This will also explain an amazing thing. It says when Hashem made the covenant, it says that he smelled the scent of the sacrifices. Ah, Hashem said, Wow. And he promised he will never bring a flood again. That was the last thing that caused. And the question is asked. Oh, so the Medrash says, when God smelled the smell of the sacrifices, it says, What did he smell? It wasn't just burnt barbecue meat. What God smelled was he smelled the scent of Abraham of Avram Avinu, being cast in the big furnace. And he smelled the smoke coming up of Avram Avinu being in the furnace. He smelled the scent of the self, self, self-sacrifice and the complete um, um, martyrdom of, of Hanania, Mishol, and Alzaria, the three tzaddikim and who didn't want to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And it, got, it says God smelled the scent of Rabbi Akiva when they were torturing him to death. All the Spanish, those people that were put to death in the Spanish Inquisition. All the martyrs that were killed by the brutal Romans. All these people, the, sm- the smoke of the... It says in the Medrash, the generation that wanted to force the Jewish people to shmad, which means to forsake their connection to God. And God smelled that. And God said, I will never bring a flood again. What's the connection? Why is that? Right now, God has to smell that. And why is the korban not enough? Based on what we said just now, we can understand that and hear this very, very deep little thought. Again, it's very deep, but we'll try to do it very quickly. And that is like this. In order to bring about this fusion that the nature itself should reveal the infinite. From within the darkness, we should see the light. That's what the the Mabal has, the post-Mabal world. In order to bring about this change, this needed to happen. We needed to do something similar to that. Because every serusa every arousal from above, matches an arousal from below. When Jews go on Messiris Nefesh, why does a Jew give his life up, Al Kiddush Hashem? Why does a Jew be willing to throw himself in the fire? Not because of philosophy, not because of what you learned, not because of what you studied. You give your life up because you have a deep truth inside of you your connection to God, you have a spark of God inside of you and that spark of God from, you, from above that's within you can never, ever, ever disconnect from God. It cannot disconnect from God. So really, when someone goes in a Sirius Nefesh, what are they displaying? They are displaying their, their, something in them that doesn't change. What does it mean? Generally, a person changes his mind all the time. I do something, it's worth it for me. Then I stop doing it when? When it's not worth it for me anymore. But are you Jewish? Yeah. Is it worth it for you? Yeah. What happens if I make it very uncomfortable to be Jewish? Are you still going to be Jewish? Yeah. What happens about if I don't... It's not just uncomfortable to be Jewish. I'm actually going to cause you pain and, uh, to be Jewish. Guess what? I'm still going to be Jewish. How about if I'm going to up the pain a little more and make you scream? Are you still going to be Jewish? Yeah. How about if I'm just going to take your life away and then you're not going to be alive anymore forever and ever? I'm pulling your life out of you. Are you still going to be Jewish? Yes, I am. Why? That's the part of us that doesn't change. Okay? Because it's rooted in God Himself that doesn't change. That's the that's the idea. Remember, we said before we have to evoke God Himself that doesn't change? Which act reveals the non-changing absoluteness of Hashem? How can we ever reveal that? In Masiris Nafesh. But here is the most exciting part of it, sad, but it's it's exciting. How is that revealed? How do we know that we have such a strong Jewishness in us? How do we know that we have one thing in the world that we're committed to and we'll never, ever, ever change our mind? Forever and ever we are attached to it. Guess what? We would never know without the Romans. We would never know without the without the Spanish Inquisition. We would never know without the, the Soviets, without the we would never know if the jews 2003 2000 okay mela when they were after the base mission understand who would have ever known that jews today just about 70 years ago would still die for being jews until the communists came we didn't know that so we so here's what, what's happening over here who reveals this deepest godliness in us is it revealed from heaven or is it revealed from the very concealing forces that are here to conceal god what do they really do in the end What does all these antagonizing forces in the world, what do they lead to in the end? Let me ask you, what's left of the Romans today? What's left? There was this brutal force of darkness in this world that came to oppose God. What is left of them? What is left of Spain, of the Inquisition? A few museums. Nothing left. In their side, there's nothing left. What's left inside of us? A powerful people that will never ever relinquish their relationship with God. That deep discovery came thanks to all these concealing forces. Again, what do you see from here? On the one hand, what is being revealed in Mesiris Nafesh? What is being revealed? The deepest Jewishness of our soul. But how is it being revealed? From the very forces that are concealing it. Ooh, that calls for, when we can reveal that, That's when God smelled that, God said I have to change now creation. That was the stimulator that stimulated and brought about this change in the world. And remember what the change is. This is so pivotal. This is so important. That darkness can never be an end to itself. You can never ever go down a road of darkness and it just be a road to hell and it never will come out. There's no such a thing it doesn't exist. Because even the road to hell ultimately turns around and goes back to heaven. There is no such a thing. The creation, the darkest places, the greatest darkness will always lead to light because creation has a purpose and the purpose of the darkness was not darkness. The purpose of creation, of darkness was light and therefore it ultimately it will show itself. And that happened by the Mabal. That was revealed after the Mabal. In order for this to happen, in order for this to happen, God had to tweak something at the very, very, very beginnings of existence. What did Hashem do? Where does, where does the forces of concealment come from? From which name of God does concealment come from? The name of Elohim. From which forces of, of godliness does the name, does, does revelation come from? Goodness. The name of Yutke Vavke. Till now, the two of them are separated, each one doing their own thing. What happens by the, as a result of the marvel? Even the name of Elohim is converted. You hear what happened by when God calls for the suspension or the ending of the model? Even the name of Elohim is converted to compassion. That means that concealment is not about concealment. Ultimately, concealment too gives away to light. And that is a very, very powerful, redeeming thought that we all need to bear in mind. The world will reach its purpose and its destination and it's happening now. And as a we should merit to see it uh, with our eyes. Mamish, take of a miyad, mamish. <laughs>
0: Mamulei Jucamari tô, tô Eu tô só